Labor Day is come and gone. Kids are back in school. The NFL season kicks off. But Drancer, the real reason people are excited is that this is the first official VanCast of the offseason. And there are some in hockey circles, some, who say the offseason doesn't officially begin until we drive home a VanCast. That's true. Well, we've gone like five days without doing one, j I've missed you. Like, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure your life is all different. You've like moved to. <laughs> you've moved to like <laughs> Baja, California. <laughs> you're coming at me. You're coming at me in a Hawaiian shirt and a tweed cap, just feet up, enjoying a pina colada. Um, you know, and fair enough. It's been a long time. I, honestly, we, we were grinding out so many episodes. Did we do 13 in August. I think that was the number. Yeah insane and and now all of a sudden like the van cast had become an every other day thing and now we went six days and i was like you know going crazy like i'm not i'm not saying i lost my sanity but like i swear i was like composing weird theme songs in my head i was like i miss j pat like just want to talk hockey with my buddy like just like really going nuts here so i'm glad to be doing this again and i'm glad that we have so much meat on the bone to get to in terms of what vancouver's looking at this offseason yeah, well, I saw you and Dolly at the Athletic. You guys kind of authored, co-authored your, you know, off-season primer. So there was some stuff in print that I'm sure we'll get to here, and I know that you guys will have a whole lot more on the written side of things. But as far as you know, when we get together and talk, I mean, the last time we did this was right in the aftermath of Game Seven, and it was still fresh. Yep. The Canucks had just bowed out of the playoffs, and and that was sort of playoff related, but. You know, now here we are in this compressed offseason that's going to be unlike anything any of us, and certainly anything any GM has ever been through, uh, just at a breakneck speed. Like, it feels like it was a while ago since the Canucks last played a game, and in that distance from Game 7 till now, I mean, there's a little bit more time, but, you know, that free agent window, the actual, like, new July 1st, it's going to be on us in a hurry here. Yeah, it's actually nuts, right? Like... Free agency opens a day yesterday, uh, a month yesterday, right? And the Canucks were playing five days ago. Like it's crazy, and you know the draft's going to come at us quickly. I'm really curious to see what that looks like. I think we're going to see an unprecedented level of player movement this summer. I-, I find no way. Like the thing about the CBA and the salary cap and contracts is essentially. Trades are when two teams find a way to solve one another's problem. And when you think about what's happened to hockey, when you think about the various issues that teams are working through, cash flow issues, cap issues, uh, there's just more problems to solve, right? For me, that's going to create an environment where we see more trades than we've ever seen before. Um, I, I certainly expect the Canucks to be busy on that front. It's going to be an absolute cluster. And... Bring it on. Like, bring it on. I'm excited. It's going to be wild to cover, man. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. So Jim and Travis did their sort of exit interviews, if you will, via Zoom the other day. We're still waiting on players, and I gather that that's a challenge now that the players are scattered, and they've gone their separate ways, and so now you're trying to herd guys that uh, are all over the the planet, I suppose, and who knows when we'll hear from the players. Right. You know, we we had access to Jim and Travis. Let me just say, and and the fans may not really care about this, but formatically, like, I really wished that Jim had gone individually and then Travis, because for me, like, I still had a number of sort of team-related hockey questions for Travis to tie up some loose ends about the playoff run and this team moving forward. And then Jim, obviously, 
as the GM, the gatekeeper, there are the overarching issues that he's facing, and it's tough when they're sitting there side by side, and maybe there's some comfort for the two of them being there together, but I, I just think we would have gotten more out of access to Jim and access to Travis separately, because, like, look, Jim sat in there, he answered questions, but we all know, like, he's not going to lay his plan <laughs> moving forward on the table for all to see. So, you know, I didn't think he was dishonest at all. I, I mean, I think he's trying to answer the questions that are posed to him. But, you know, he talked a fair bit, but really ultimately didn't say an awful lot. Yeah, though, I thought he said a, a fair few interesting things, right? I thought the, I thought, you know, the goaltending thing, the fact that they are open to keeping both goaltenders, that they value you know, having two right now, I think that they, well, you know, as, as Dollywall and I reported, like the Jake Allen trade caught their attention as, you know, an indication of the extent to which teams were going to value having two good goaltenders this season. I think it caught their attention because a, obviously they're interested in what that market looks like considering what they'll be looking at in the event that they resign Jacob Markstrom, which I still expect they will be able to. Then you think about the fact that, you know, they do have some time here to potentially hold Demko, have some Markstrom insurance, maybe play Markstrom fewer games next season than they did this year, keep him a little bit rested now that they're a club that, you know, I think has playoff aspirations point blank, right? After this season, surely it's not good enough to play competitive games late into the season, right? Like now this team is expected to be in the mix in the postseason, maybe even make some noise. So keeping Markstrom fresh is going to be a new priority. I thought that was a pretty interesting comment. I thought his comment, the the warning shot that we're going to face some tough decisions, maybe even on some of our young players. I read an awful lot into that. And then, you know, after the availability was done and he went on the radio... Uh, you know, explaining that he'd expected more from Jake Vertanen. I mean, I thought there was some absolute grist there, even though you're right, it was guarded. And and as for Green, you know, I personally didn't feel like I had too many uh, postseason wrap questions for Travis. You know, we talk to him every day during the bubble. I, I feel like um, I feel like we have a good sense of of what he sort of was trying to do throughout those playoffs, including playing Kitty Bar the Door when he sort of sized up what Vegas could do to his club five on to five, right? And, and effectively made the plan that it was like, well, we're going to try to protect the inside. Um, we're going to give up a lot of shots here, and hopefully there's a lot of penalties called. Um, you know, like that, that I, think, I think we had a good sense of that. Really, I just wanted Jim to talk a little bit more about the offseason, and, and I was a little... Um, not miffed, but you know we didn't get to talking about the extension um, during that availability, which I thought was surprising. The extension of, I'm talking about is, of course, the one that we all expect to get done at some point for Travis Green. Right, and so there were a couple of things. And again, having the two guys there, there's sort of these two trains of thought because more questions were for Jim than for Travis. But, yeah. you know, like Tanev's name didn't come up. Vertanen's name didn't come up. It wasn't until afterwards, as you mentioned, on the radio that he said right. what he said about him being disappointing and, and expecting more there. Uh, Josh Levo's name didn't come up. And, and again, there's sort of this 
cloud of where is Josh Levo in all of this and, and moving forward. And, you know, his name didn't come up at all. I tried on the injury front. I, in fact, I tried twice and really didn't get an awful lot out of Jim. Uh, you know, he did mention that Markstrom was back skating and probably would have been available had they advanced past Vegas in the next round. But even at that, there was no idea of when the injury actually occurred. And so, you know, I, I was left wanting a fair bit more. But on the Markstrom front, I mean, it was pretty clear when Jim, you know, and he said it before and, and, you know, we've talked about this at length, Tom, that, you know, Markstrom has been their priority for a while. And even with the Demko show in those final three games, I don't think a lot a lot has changed to the point that Jim, in his year-end availability, you know, lays it all there for everybody. You know, Markstrom's the MVP. You know, we want Markstrom back. We've talked to his agent. You know, to me, nothing has changed on that front that Jacob Markstrom still remains their priority and I think even more so that if there are going to be changes on the back end and they're going to go younger and they're going to expect some mistakes from more rookies that are getting plugged in that it makes perfect sense that Jacob Markstrom is still going to be the guy that they want back there you know as the great eraser to mop up any of those mistakes that are made and we've seen when Travis Green has both of those goalies at his disposal they're both healthy and available to him his usage of Jacob Markstrom, again, indicates in Travis Green's mind that Jacob Markstrom is the guy. Yeah, and there's no doubt about that, right? Jacob Markstrom has a unique position on this team, both in terms of his weight in that room, uh, where I like to refer to him as the capo de tutti capi. Like, I think he's kind of the guy in a lot of ways uh, for this team, and he's definitely the guy for Travis Green. You know, uh, the guy that, as Green said on this very podcast, uh, he's the guy I'd go down with, right? Um, so, you know, uh, no question. No question Markstrom's essential, and he's the first domino. Like, the whole Canucks offseason flows through a Markstrom extension and when that gets done. And I do think it'll get done, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it goes to the wire just because it's complicated. It's complicated because the Canucks really don't want no move protection, right? They, they they can't maximize the return for Demko, regardless of what their intentions are, if they don't sign Markstrom to a deal that at least makes it look to the industry like they have options in net. And, you know, I do think there's some leeriness in terms of overcommitting to term, especially, you know, considering Markstrom's age, considering the injuries... Um, and so, yeah, it's a tough one. And then, and then there's news now out of Vegas from our right. uh, athletic colleague Jesse Granger that that Leonard might look at five five. Well, if Leonard and Varlamov, two goalies who've you know had better success in terms of career save percentage, who've won genuine NHL hardware, like Varlamov's been a Vesna nominee, and uh, Varlamov and Leonard shared uh, the Jennings last year, right? Like, these are guys who have accomplished more, frankly. And so all of a sudden, you know, the Markstrom camp's looking for an extra 500K to a million per year over guys whose track record is demonstrated, you know, have a greater demonstrated track record than, than Markstrom does, even though Markstrom is seen as the top uh, free agent goaltender on the market, regardless of what happens with Leonard. I mean, that's a complicating factor too, right? That sort of is makes makes all of this difficult. It's why I've always thought that it would go down to the wire. But there's no question. Markstrom's going to have leverage because he's going to have options. And he's going to be a hot commodity. Whether the Canucks can find a way to get that done to keep him in Vancouver, a place that I do think he'd prefer to stay, and and I do think the Canucks would prefer to keep him, um, you know, for all of that, for all of the fundamentals 
in Vancouver's favor here, this is going to be a really complicated one. Why can't Lehner get a raise? Like, 5-5 five, five gets him term, certainly, but if this guy leads the Vegas Golden Knights to a Stanley Cup, like, why can't he ever get a raise on $5 million bucks? Well, $5 million is a raise in Vegas relative to Chicago, right? Because the cost of living's lower and the tax rate's low, and so it goes further. Uh, you kind of see this. Like the the other example would be William Carlson, right? William Carlson's at five nine, and Kevin Hayes, the other sort of top center who who would have been available on the market if Carlson had not signed with Vegas that very that same year, ends up at seven in Philadelphia. And it's like really those are the same contract <laughs> in terms of actual take home. It's just that Vegas has some built in advantages that are pretty significant um, that the Canucks, by the way, are aware of. And that, you know, just adds to the monster that that organization already has become just three years into their existence. Uh, One other thing that Jim mentioned that maybe was sort of the meatiest news bit was that Tyler Toffoli came back way ahead of schedule. That in Jim's words, it was the kind of injury that probably should have kept him out twice as long. So... You know, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Certainly this year in the bubble, injury information was almost impossible to come by. You know, you have to tip your hat to a guy that is willing to do what Toffoli did. It was clear with that, like, gauntlet of games, five and seven nights as it turned out, that he was slowing down. Like, you know, when he came back, made an immediate impact, obviously, the goal 90 seconds into his return, uh, three points in that first game. You know, he looked like a guy that was playing on adrenaline, that, you know, hadn't accumulated a bunch of wear and tear on the injured ankle. But as that series wore on, like, you could just see he was laboring through. And, you know, good on him, I suppose, for trying to make it happen. But at the same time, like, damn, if he was supposed to be out another month, like, that must have been a pretty serious high ankle sprain. Yeah, six weeks, six-week timeline, three-week return. Uh, that's some Wolverine shit from Tyler Toffoli and, and speaks to his level of commitment and competitiveness. And uh, I think it, I think that caught the organization's attention, as did Toffoli's all-around form. Like, he was a huge ad for this team. There's no question about it. And it's, you know, his – there wasn't a lot of games that he ended up playing. Like, how many games did he end up in? 17, something like that? 15? Yeah. Between the playoffs the regular, and the regular season? the regular season and seven playoff games. Right. So 17 games. But, boy, like, his ability as a playmaker from that down-low spot and as a finisher completely, like, fundamentally altered the Canucks PP1. Uh, I thought he had had instant chemistry with both Pedersen and Bo Horvat. I I think he's a must-have piece. Like, I don't think this team is dangerous without a top six that you really struggle to defend against. And... Without before the Toffoli trade, like this team played Levo and Vertanen and Louis Erickson in top six role uh, throughout the throughout the season, like that's it's just not going to get it done. For what this team like, this team needs additional depth. They need a better blue line, but you also need to make sure you're holding serve with a lethal lethal top six that allows Pedersen and Bo Horvat to really wreck teams. Uh, they just don't have it without Toffoli. I mentioned off the top that football season's back. Now's the time to celebrate. Football has returned, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize with a total of $3 million up for grabs on this 
Thursday Night Football Contest. So getting in on Thursday Night Single Game Showdown is easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using promo code MAYS, M-A-Y-S. Draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So head to the app now and start making it rain. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code MAZE will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. So download DraftKings, download the app now, and use the code MAZE for a limited time. New users get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 million in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter code MAZE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. The code is MAZE, M-A-Y-S, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Speaking of a draft king, we all thought he was uh, back on draft day, 2014. But obviously, the Jake Furtanen story has played out in front of all of our eyes, Thomas. And, you know, Jim Benning doesn't often offer up those types of remarks that he did on the radio about a player. I mean, look, there's been so much love around this group getting to Game 7 against the Vegas Golden Knights, a team built, constructed to win the Stanley Cup. And... You know, I was getting into it on Twitter because I pushed back on somebody using the word magical to describe the Canucks run, and I still have trouble with magical. Uh, <laughs> magical. No. no, no, no. That's that's the magic the magical run of the Oilers in 2017. Right. And that like, was let's not do that. Exactly. Let's that not was, do that. It was so like it was fun to have hockey back. It was fun to see the Canucks, young players rise yeah. to the challenge. Everything. There were moments within the playoff run yeah. that maybe could border on magical, but the run itself, magical's a strong word. No. And so I got into it. Not magical. It's, oh, you're so negative. Thank you. Thank you. You're the only guy in town that's negative. All this kind of crap. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How dare dare those people? I'm sorry. I'm so mad. Right. And then the GM comes out, and with all of these options to talk about his team, he's asked about Jake Furtanen and says they expected more. Like, he didn't, you know, he didn't talk about Jay Beagle. He didn't talk about Antoine Roussel. He didn't talk about... Brandon Sutter, uh, lots of guys that they probably could have expected more from. But to say that about Jake Furtanen, I mean, the pretty pointed comments from from Jim Benning. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, you know, he was he was a healthy scratch for the first game of the playoffs, right? Uh, another, he had two training camps where clearly he wasn't at the level that the Canucks expected. Um, the raw talent is obvious, right? The skills are obvious. Uh, there were, like, he did break a game open in game five against St. Louis in an in extremely high leverage moment. He completely changed that game when he got put on the first line. Like, there were moments where Jake Vertanen was what people expect, but just they're too far, too few and too far between. Uh, the fact that every time this club holds training camp, he's a storyline for the wrong reasons certainly hints at uh, a commitment level issue and you know yeah I don't know I don't know know sort of where you go from here but you're looking at an arbitration case where he's got a real case to be a three million dollar player next year now you'd rather have Jake Vertanen in my book for three million than the likes of Roussel and Beagle sure but you know that's not the reality the Canucks live in like the Canucks live in a reality where there's already money committed and where if you're re-signing Markstrom and Toffoli um, 
things are going to get pretty tight pretty quick here. And there's still, you know, the problem with Markstrom and re-signing Markstrom and Toffoli is you need them both, but neither's a top four defenseman. <laughs> and so, you know, how do the Canucks navigate this and bring back a player like Vertanen at $3 million? Uh, You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know how that works. I can't really do the math. Uh, it would require some pretty significant movement and maybe an act of God uh, on the Louis Erickson deal. And so you kind of you kind of look at it and think, man, I I wonder if Vertanen's one of their better chips to play this summer, uh, or forget being a better chip to play, just one they kind of have to play uh, because at least he should have some value. Uh, clearly, he can do a bunch of special things on the ice. There's no doubting the skills. It's just. Does he have the maturity and hockey IQ to put it together to this point in his Canucks career? I think that's a very, very open question. And when you're 24 years old and and in your sixth pro season, um, those are the types of questions that are inconvenient to have lingering around you, especially as you're looking for a pretty big payday as an arbitration-eligible RFA. Right, and so if we read between some of the lines of Jim Benning in his comments where he talked about, you know, first of all, he admitted that They've got to move out from under some of these contracts. And you've reported that, you know, there absolutely is an appetite now to make that happen. The other one, he, he mentioned young players. And it was vague, but, you know, I think in his mind, Jake Vertanen is still a young player. So maybe that puts Jake even more in the crosshairs. And, of course, this was before he went on the radio and said what he said. Now, speaking of radio, I, I know you touched on it on 1040, but I think it's worth bringing up again here because there is a fair bit of doom and gloom about uh, the contracts, these bloated contracts that we've been talking about for years. But if there is a ray of sunshine in this, it is that a lot of the cash that is owed to these players has already been paid, right? That what remains... Across the board. Yeah. Like, it's actually amazing. As I I was looking into it, because we've got a... Harmon and I have a dual byline piece, uh, who's staying, who's going, look, and, and across the board, all of these guys are on front-loaded deals, the The bulk of the money's been paid out, their salary remaining is lower than their cap hit. Right, so there are teams out there, I mean, we say it every offseason, you know, the Ottawa's, the Arizona's, whoever, like, you know, if they're trying to scratch and claw their way to uh, the cap floor, that you know, those are the kind of contracts then ultimately that help you, right? Bigger cap, less cash outlay, and for some of these teams, and there are going to be a bunch of them that uh, nobody sold a ticket. Yeah. Nobody has sold a ticket in months. Like there are going to be cash crunches, uh, even more so around the, the National Hockey League whenever next season gets here. So you know, yeah, if you're an optimist and you're thinking, man, like Jim Benning's got to make this happen, then maybe some of those contracts are a little more attractive to some teams this year than they would be in other off-seasons. Totally, especially if you're buying a guy who had, say, a backloaded structure, right? Like if you're trading a player for a player who's got a lot of cash owing still, right? Like Now, we don't know that that's a chip the Canucks are going to be able to play. Like We don't know that the Canucks are going to be able to carry themselves with that sort of big market wallet that they traditionally have during the Aquilini era, right? We, we're not sure yet, but the fact is is that those deals are more movable now than they've probably ever been and this might be a unique opportunity a salve as it were as the Canucks look to get creative I still think there's going to need to be like you know Brandon Sutter's 3.5 million owing is lower than the 4.33 million dollar cap it but 3.5 is still a lot of a big chunk and and a 4.3 million dollar cap it's still massive so like 
they might have to consider retaining. Well, might have to consider. They might have to retain to to make a deal that doesn't cost them an arm and a leg in terms of a sweetener. But you know, could that deal be movable? Especially after Sutter had a pretty strong playoffs. Like, uh, yeah, I I can see it. I think they're confident that it's possible. Uh, could Jay Beagle even at two point two? Like, if you retain. I don't know that there's a lot of appetite for a penalty-killing specialist fourth-line center who's a great person and wins every draw he takes at $3 million, But at $1.5 million and $1.1 in salary, does that become a relatively doable proposition? Like, I think so. I think it does. Um, even Sven Berchi. Like, Sven Berchi, if you retain half on Sven Berchi, which the Canucks are, are probably willing to do. I believe they're willing to do that. They were definitely willing to retain a big chunk of his contract prior at the trade deadline. In the in in a world where Sven Berchi it costs you one point two million and you're able to send out a million, so it's like, are you willing to take a two hundred thousand dollar flyer that Sven Berchi can help your top nine if you're a team like say the Detroit Red Wings, right? Like that really doesn't have much. Um, maybe, like maybe. I I I think that's at least possible. It's not. For sure, I, I, the Canucks still might have to sweeten the pot, but is it something that a team might consider in this environment? Like, yes, and and that is a huge, huge arrow in the Canucks' quiver as they go into this most uncertain offseason. At the very least, the deals that are inefficient are deals where the money is less than the cap hit, and that might be a weapon that they can use uh, to their advantage. Do you think that there is any straight-up trade value in a guy like Brandon Sutter or Antoine Roussel? Or would they have to either retain or sweeten deals to move those guys? Like, Brandon Sutter, as we all... Like, he was engaged in the playoffs. You know, he only had a goal, ultimately, but I think he had six points in 17 games, so a third of a point per game. You know, one year left on his deal, uh, face-off guy, good in the room, leadership, all that kind of... Like, is there trade value in Brandon Sutter, or would they have to sweeten that deal to move that contract? I think they'd have to sweeten the deal to move that contract, but I think that they have some optimism. And, you know, my my opinion often disagrees. Like, you just need one guy, right? right? You just need yep. one guy to see it. So, you know, I, I my view of it anyway is that those deals would have to, like, maybe you don't have to sweeten it so much as you just have to take money back. You just have to identify a player that maybe fits, but like the James Neal, Milan Lucic thing, right? Like, Maybe you just have to find a guy who's making $2 million on the other team that they're, that they're sort of sour on but you think can help you in one way or another, right? Like, I just think you, maybe you don't have to sweeten it, but I do think you'll have to take money back or do something creative to get those deals done. For me, I think that that's probably the underlying logic of those deals is whether it's retention, whether it's taking money back, whether it's sweetening. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a ton of straight-up hockey value um, in those players, and, and not necessarily because of the players, but because of the ticket they come attached to, because of the flat cap, uh, because of just the situation for the industry. Well, we know it's obvious that the Canucks have to do some trimming here in the off season. You know what they could use in their front office? I, I'm already impressed. I just want you to know is the lawnmower 3.0. Like I don't know if Manscape, I don't know if Manscape makes such a device for NHL front offices, but damn, if ever there was an off season where they could use. The Lawnmower 3.0 for the best in personal hygiene. Uh, you got to check out all of the Manscaped products. But Lawnmower 3.0, it's waterproof. It includes an LED light. It's made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts in those parts of your body that you just don't want. Nicks and cuts. You can get. 
the 3.0, the lawnmower, inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, uh, deodorant for your most sensitive region, the Reviver uh, toning spray as well. Uh, check it out. Uh, you can find it all at manscaped.com. And with our code, the Athletic 20 you get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC20, and there you go. And we'll see if the Canucks can do a little uh, landscaping of their own, manscaping uh, here in this off season. So you and Harm are working on a piece of who stays and who goes. Yeah, that'll that'll run today. Um, you know, we've broken it down like the fifty-fifty club, which is hey, we don't know. <laughs> and then uh, and then you know some guys who we think might be on the block, um, some bio watch guys, guys we think you know like one guy who I really struggled to sort. For example, was Oscar Fantenberg. Like I thought Fantenberg played great in the playoffs, but um, this is a world where the Canucks are going to be facing cap issues. I'm not sure that Fantenberg is going to be like a $2 million player, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a 1.5, right? Uh, I, I think he's probably earned himself a, a, that type of shot, that type of shot now that he's you know, played a pretty big role, an everyday third-pair defender, physical penalty killer on a team that won a couple playoff rounds, right? Uh, like that to me is, is an interesting one to watch. You know, Jim Benning said that our, their young defenders will be in the mix. Guys like Brogan Rafferty, Jack Rathbone, Bro, um, <laughs> excuse me, um, Olio Levy, right? So, like, there's a lot of competition there. They've got Ben signed. Maybe Ben's one of those guys that they try and move. And Ben also, by the way, had a front-loaded deal. He's at 1-6 despite the $2 million cap hit. Ben's a guy I think has real hockey value. Like, I think you could move Ben without sweetening it. Um, but... On the other hand, Ben plays both sides, right? Like, Ben plays both sides. So if you're going to be blooding some of those young defenders next season, like, isn't Ben, who could play on the left side with Rafferty but also play on the right side with Rathbone, almost like an ideal fit, potentially, depending on sort of what happens with Stetcher and Tanev? Uh, I, I mean, I think so, right? Like, I think that there's real sort of interest, potentially, or, or, or a real fit there uh, that makes sense in my mind's eye anyway. So... You know, Fantenberg was a guy that we ultimately decided was more likely to move on, but I wouldn't be shocked if he stays on on sort of a short-term deal to continue building his value with a coaching staff that clearly likes and trusts his game. It's just it's just hard for me to see it. Like it's hard for me to make sense of of where that fit is. So yeah, we've got that piece. It'll run shortly at the Athletic. I think people will like it, find it interesting. Um, we only really had seven Canucks players that we were like returning for sure, which just speaks to the fact that while we have no idea when the Canucks will next take the ice, <laughs> when we'll next see this team play at the moment, I think we have a pretty good idea that when they do step back on the ice and play again in NHL competition, it's a roster that's going to look fundamentally different from the one we saw push the Golden Knights to the brink. So Fantenberg's funny to me just because, uh, you know, he took over from Jordy Ben halfway through the season and stayed in that third-pairing left-side role. Uh, and there were nights where I wondered if the door was open to get Ben back in there, and they kind of stuck with Fantenberg. And we saw that in that Vegas series, that Vegas not just outshot the Canucks, but outhit them. They outshot them by 103, but they outhit them by 45. And we always hear about... You know, if you have the puck, then you're not hitting players. <laughs> Vegas had the puck the entire time and still out hit the Canucks by 45 over those seven games. And so I looked at Natural Statric because I was just curious who was on the receiving end of the most hits 
Like, you know, I thought, oh, it's going to be Quinn Hughes or Tanev because they were out there the most and, you know, the the target of the Vegas forecheck. No, it was Fantenberg. Fantenberg was the most hit Canuck in the series against the Vegas Golden Knights. So clearly, you know, mobility issues, perhaps not the escapability of some other guys that, you know, and he's a big dude. Like, he was willing to take hits, I guess. But, oh, yeah. But I just thought it surprised me just because of his limited role, ultimately, but the other thing, too, and, you know, I've sort of been on this, like, I, they have to integrate some youth into their penalty kill, because I was looking at this part, too. Like, ultimately, Vegas, and we saw how the power play kind of let the Canucks down, really, for the first time all season in Game 7, but Vegas, yeah. Vegas scored a power play goal of its own in five of the seven games. The Canucks' penalty kill in the series against Vegas quietly wasn't all that good. Tyler Mott was on the ice for all five of the power play goals against the Canucks uh, in the Vegas series. Beagle, Eric's, or Beagle, Edler and Tanev were on for four. And in the playoffs as a whole, Tanev and Edler were on the ice for 10 of the 13 uh, power play goals that the Canucks gave up. So, like, I know they start every penalty kill and they are still the guys that we consider, you know, these penalty kill aces. But I do think that that's an area that the Vancouver Canucks are going to have to completely revamp. Now, if Tanev's not here, uh, that changes things and that'll force them to uh, make some, some changes to the way that they penalty kill. But... You know, you just you kind of wish at this stage of Alex Edler's career, like as good as he's been for the Vancouver Canucks, perfect world stuff. You know, they wouldn't rely on him as much as they still do at the age of thirty-four, going on thirty-five here. And I do think that like those penalty kill minutes are hard, right? Like they lean on those yeah. guys an awful lot. And ultimately, I mean, we focused on the power play because I think we had all expected the Canucks' power play was going to rise up yet again and find a way to deliver a victory and get them past Vegas. And they had certainly 11 minutes of power play time in Game 7 and got two shots. But, you know, kind of quietly it flew under the radar that as that series wore on, uh, the Canucks penalty killing wasn't good enough. And ultimately, Vegas' power play is what got them the goal they needed uh, to advance to the next round. Yeah, you know, this is such a good point, J-Pat. And, and the other part of it that it really reveals, right, is this is a team... With, you know, one of the reasons if you're going to be optimistic about what this Canucks team can be in the future is that they've got three really interesting centermen all under the age of 25 in Bo Horvat, Adam Gaudet, and Elias Pettersson, right? All of those guys scored at least a 40-point pace this season. Uh, that, to, that in your mind's eye sounds like, sounds tremendous, but none of those guys can kill penalties. I don't know why Bo Horvat can't kill penalties, but he can't. Like, we know that. And Pedersen, I think, could, but he'd block shots and get hurt. Like, yeah. <laughs> Pedersen doesn't have any chill. Like, there's no chill in Pedersen. He's not letting a shot that he can block go by him. Like, that's just not how he plays. So you're taking on an inordinate amount of risk if you're letting him go out there and, and burn energy and, uh, you know, waste some of his dur- durability bullets on a stationary defensive Situation Like, that's my view of it anyway. Adam Gaudet, Adam Gaudet's two-way game's not quite there yet, and he doesn't win draws. So I don't know that that makes a ton of sense either. And, you know, thinking about Bo Horvat a little bit more, right? Bo Horvat has spent his entire NHL career just thrown to the wolves, right? On, on a team that's had Brandon Sutter out of the lineup 
far too often while he's been in. You know, the only season in which, like, he's ever been able to ease in anything was his very first season when Brad Richardson, Nick Benino, and Henrik Sedin were ahead of him in the lineup, and he played on that fourth line and found chemistry with, like, Ronald's Kennens or whatever his name was, right? And and Derek Dorsett. Like, that was a really good lo- fourth line for the Canucks. It's probably the best fourth line the Canucks have iced in 10 years, frankly. So, you know, when I think about what this team needs to maximize the one-two punch that is Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat. You know, if Elias Pettersson's going to play straight up more often going forward, and I think we now know based on his playoff usage that he is, you know, then Bo Horvat becomes a guy who plays sort of secondary minutes for you. And and we've seen that when Bo Horvat's deployed like a customary second line center, he's an absolute force offensively. Like that's when he starts to get rush goals and when he starts to really produce. And in order to sort of take the next step as a team, I do kind of think like finding a third line center, finding a three LC who you can throw into a matchup, like a top two matchup, means that you can have Bo Horvat picking off third and fourth lines, right? Like you can get another level, I think, of five on five production from Bo Horvat if you're able to create an environment where he's the guy that Green's using to pick on the bottom end of, of opponents' rosters. And you know, finding a guy additionally who can play big penalty kill minutes for you without being essentially a punt at five on five, as Beagle and Sutter are and were in this playoffs. Like that's it. That's the that's such a key part of the equation for the Canucks moving forward. I, I don't know that that guy's available on the open market this summer. Like maybe Carl Soderberg. Uh, he's a little bit older, but he's still a guy who produces you know thirty five ish points and is fine five on five. Um, can kill penalties for you, win draws. But, I mean, they'd have to clear space to even take a run at him, right? Like, that's not even a simple move to make. Maybe it's something on on the trade market. But quietly, quietly, I kind of think 3LC is one of the biggest pressing needs for the team uh, this offseason. And I, I expect the team to sort of reach that conclusion, too, as they go through their, you know, seasonal review meetings this week and, and discuss it as a group. And, you know, for me anyway, that's like a big thing that this club needs in addition to that sort of top four horse and a big shot in the arm on the back end. That's what makes these next four or five weeks just so fascinating like there, there's just no shortage of things to speculate and talk about but in years gone by you know all of this discussion would start in april when the canucks were eliminated and we would have to fill podcasts and column space february and radio <laughs> yeah but but once the season was done it was april may yeah. june the draft and then free agency like it's going to be here before any of us know it and so like like, I, I get that these guys are GMs and they love it, but at the same time, like I'm not even sure that they know what's about to truly hit them. Like there's just so much no. heavy lifting that has to be done. And so honestly, one of the best things I thought that came out of Jim's availability the other day was him mentioning that he'd already talked to a bunch of GMs. That GMs had like called him, and I assume that he's calling GMs. Don't waste a second. Like, honestly, like, the minute you were eliminated, and we saw trades going down while teams were still in the bubble. Like, don't waste a second here because there is so much work to be done for the Vancouver Canucks. But instead of having to wait three months to sort of get a sense of the skeleton roster that they're going to have moving forward, I mean, a month from now, all of these questions, well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are going to be answered. Yep. No, and you know what? It's a good point, too. Like, 
being in the playoffs puts you a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of those trade discussions. Like talking to some industry sources, just calling some guys and being like, what are you hearing out of the Canucks? And everyone's like, well, we haven't talked to anybody, right? Like they're, they've been in the playoffs. All of our conversations have been with teams that are eliminated. And, you know, that was sort of an interesting dynamic that I guess I knew, but I wasn't fully aware of that really you're not, really you're not uh, as a GM looking to like, have super open conversations about your players when if that gets out right before a key game like that becomes a distraction and you know like teams really do focus on the playoffs the Canucks were all in on trying to beat Vegas so you know not that they're behind the eight ball as a result but I I do think that Jim's comments rang true and indicated that you know, maybe there have been some low-level conversations occurring over the past month, but this this week especially and next week too are going to be key ones where Benning is expected to be very personally involved, engaging the market, trying to find ways to shed salary, trying to find ways to upgrade his club. Um, again, I expect a really busy summer of deals just because uh, really trades are two teams finding a way to solve one one another's problem. And every team in the league, from the Canucks on down, or the Canucks on up, if you're going alphabetically, um, have a lot of problems to work through this summer, just considering everything that's going on in the world and in the industry. Right, and Jim himself said, like, player exit interviews via Zoom, meeting with the coaching staff, meeting with ownership. Like, that was just for the rest of this week, and yet all of those meetings have to take place for the Canucks to sort of frame their blueprint towards this offseason and what they're going to do and how much money they have to play with and all those kinds of things. So, you know, it's going to be a week of meetings, obviously, just to kind of take care of in-house matters for the Vancouver Canucks. And then they have a month to sort it all out. And and we don't even know what next season looks like or when it's going to begin. So that just adds to all of sort of this confusion. And Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner of the NHL, uh, was on with Pierre Lebron and Scott Burnside on this week's two-man advantage uh, at the athletic and, and they get into a lot of sort of the what ifs for next season so certainly something to check out there if you're looking for yeah. other pod options and that is a meaty that is a meaty podcast if yeah. you've listened to it like i was just like wow this is insane <laughs> right because this idea of 82 games starting on january 1st still is out there as like a, a i'm not plus. buying that neither am i but bill keeps no. talking about not willing to budge off it yet but like at some point they got to tilt this thing back to a september to june schedule right like that's the conventional hockey calendar and if you're starting on jan 1st and you're trying to squeeze in anything more than 60 games you're playing into the summer there's a short turnaround and it affects not just next season but the season beyond so yep again i'm i'm team i'm team all canadian division i want a provisional all canadian division you know the, the nhl can have three eight-team divisions in the United States and a provisional seven-team division in Canada. You don't have to do it in bubbles. You do have to do daily testing, NFL style, no cross-border travel, um, at least during the regular season, do a bubble playoffs. Um, Like, that is my hope uh, for how the season begins anyway. I just, like, give me, give me a 70-game season even that features 10 games between... The Canucks and the Oilers, the Canucks and the Flames, the Canucks and the Jets, the Canucks and the Maple Leafs. Like, you know, baseball style, like you go to the city for a week and you play five games and then they're going to come. Like, that, that that to me would be fun as hell. Like, that's what I want just from a business perspective and from a 
from an interest in this country perspective, from a storylines perspective, like give me a provisional all Canadian division next season. That's what I want. I think that would be fun as hell. 10 against the Oilers, 10 against the Flames, 10 against the Jets, 10 against the Leafs, 10 against the Habs, 4 against the Sins. Uh, well, no, <laughs> two, maybe, two. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you want all 10 against the Sens next year. Who knows? Yeah, it depends if you want to make the playoffs. <laughs> hey, look, t- credit to the Sens, though. That team's a pain in the ass to play. Like, that structure, structurally, that Sens team, um, they know what they're doing. I think DJ Smith did a pretty phenomenal job. So while, while we make fun, I also do want to note that I really admired how that team played. Um, with a massively undermanned club this past season. Well, and they're going to be fun to watch here at the draft. I mean, they got three yeah. first-rounders, so, and two of yeah. them in the top five. Let's see top how that five, goes. Top five, I know. And, uh, hey, just before we wrap, uh, and we always tell you to check out the comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And I don't know about you, Tom, but I check out the comments, like to see what people are saying. I know that there's a lot of good yeah. feedback on the last one. Uh, people uh, appreciated your story about your grandfather and uh, the tribute yeah, you made to him. So, you know, I had I actually can I quickly yeah. say I had a Vancast listener who I, I guess their dad's an ophthalmologist and they called their dad or their dad sent them an audio message um, on their phone talking about a time where he'd reached out to my grandfather because he was considering going into ophthalmology. And my grandfather, like they'd never met before. He met him at a Starbucks and gave him like a mock interview so that he'd be prepared for for his sort of residency interviews. Um, and just like had some really nice things to say. Um, this listener DM'd me on Twitter, sent me the note. I circulated it to my family. I uh, just want to just want to sh- give that listener in particular a shout out because that meant a lot, not just to me, but to uh, my aunts, my uncles and my dad. Um, just really kind of you to, to reach out and, and share that with me. Well, then this is a great way to sort of tie that all together because uh, we saw and I know you've uh, pumped it out a couple of times on tweets that. The Athletic has reached a million subscribers. Like, I know. That's an crazy. incredible threshold. And to think that a lot of our listeners, and we've had fun here this year, and we did our 100th pod not that long ago, and we continually thank the listeners. We're nothing without the listeners. The pod probably doesn't happen if we don't have the support of listeners. But a million subscribers, uh, some of them are VanCast listeners. and so I think the majority, Jeff. You think? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. About eight. I think. I think I saw it reported by Taj1944 on Twitter that 800k of the ah. one million were Canucks fans. Truly incredible numbers. Those sound um, like, I'll have to fact check that with Mike Martinego. Yeah, I was going to say those sound like Martinego kind of numbers. But uh, anyhow, yeah. nice. Tom leaves us with another yeah. sound effect. You're you're very good at this. <laughs> yeah, the sound effects game. Considering I can't make a car sound effect to save my life, like I was the embarrassing kid playing on the car mat, you know, who'd like make a car sound and people would be like, that's not what a car sounds like. So now I've leaned into sound effects because it's clearly my weakness. Uh, but the million subscriber mark, you know, the other media outlets that have it are like legacy outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post, like companies that have been around for 100 years to, to have got their... Uh, you know, in, in about five years, as the athletic has, it's it's tremendous and and really a testament to your fandom. Like, if you're listening to this, it's like your fandom. That's why we do this. That's why we care about this. Uh, that's why we work hard to produce the content we do. And and just thank you so much from the bottom of of my heart and from J Pats as well. 
If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. Sign up and see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash thevancast, you can receive an all-access subscription for just a buck twenty-five Canadian a month. So we certainly hope to see you there. Transfer and I will continue to push out Vancast here through the offseason again. Uh, things are going to happen uh, sooner rather than later, so we're not going anywhere. You're still in uh, Edmonton covering what remains of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, I'm taking a little downtime yeah. from radio, but uh, we will get together certainly on a weekly basis, if not more, uh, if the need arises, uh, and uh, we'll be watching the Canucks closely and trying to find out what we can about what this team has up its sleeve for the offseason uh, so that uh, we can get down to all the, good, all the goods here on the VanCast. So, uh, Tom, enjoy uh, the remaining conference finals and uh, on to the Stanley Cup final just around the corner and uh, we'll get back and do another one of these uh, probably sometime next week but uh, for Drancer it's Pat as always uh, thanks so much for your support uh, this is the VanCast at the Athletic and the Athletic.com. <laughs>